Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can. Welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Today, we have Dr. Karen Dudek-Brennan, and she is a speech-language pathologist and founder and owner of Dr. Karen. She has her own podcast. And you know what? She's really a wealth of information. We just spent the last 37 minutes really diving into what we know and commonalities and what is the best information that we can share with you today. And honestly, we could have probably gone on for hours. And that (laughs) happens. Sometimes I swear I should just record before recording because what we found was so much concern in certain areas. See, Dr. Karen started with a big passion um, with really trying to break down the silos of communication within special education teams and education. But that's opened up to an entire new world and a world in which she's really trying to empower not just children and students, but those who work with them as well as the parents. So welcome, Dr. Karen. Thank you for having me. This has been really great already, and they just don't even know about it yet. Yeah, we'll we'll just have to do it again. <laughs> That's perfect. I love it. So where do you want to begin? I'm going to throw it out to you. Yeah, so I can just kind of give a little bit about, I suppose I could give my elevator pitch. So I spent 14 years in the schools as an SLP and was also getting my doctorate in special ed and my director of special ed credential. I knew I wanted to do something relating to teaching and leadership And one of the biggest pain points that I had as a speech pathologist was number one, feeling like I was a member of that team and figuring out how to make the most of my time with my students. A lot of times a therapist, we have 30 minutes with the kid and we're supposed to wave our magic wand and figure out how to, you know, fix them. I use that in big air quotes. So one of the big areas that came up for me was language and literacy and knowing how to support kids who were having global issues across the board academically because of language. So what I did during my doctoral work is I really focused on a framework for people who were focused on language and literacy to give them a framework for building the language skills that are going to support comprehension, writing, those very specific academic skills, but also things that are going to support vocational skills after uh, after college and, or not after college, after high school. So what I found, one of the very first areas that I started when I sort of launched my business, um, which I did um, after I was finished with my doctorate, one of the biggest areas where I started supporting professionals was in the area of language and literacy. And I was focusing specifically uh, with uh, focusing on helping out LPs because that's my background. And what I found was a lot of the professionals were, they felt good about like, what do I do when I have a student in front of me? So like, what are my lesson plans? What are my worksheets? You know, where's my IEP goal bank when I'm writing my paperwork? Those are a lot of pain points that the related service personnel are facing because there's tons of paperwork with writing IEPs and Mm -hmm. then they have to figure out what am I doing in my sessions? 
And so they were feeling more confident with those things, but they, a lot of them were just saying that even though they felt more confident in what they were doing, that there were still, it was just kind of the tip of the iceberg. There was still a bigger problem with helping students to really generalize those skills to other settings, but then also figuring out just big picture what needs to happen for kids to help them be successful. And so just a lot of, you know, issues with the system of, of how, how teams were working together in the schools. And I always knew that I wanted to expand beyond that initial area where I started and really focus on things like executive functioning, because I knew it was very impactful when you think about academic skills. So when I started to look into expanding to helping other people on that IEP team, I realized that when you think about executive functioning, it's not just about academic skills. Of course, it affects academic skills, reading, writing, but it actually has this global impact on our entire lives. So, so let me ask you this. When when did you come to the realization of what executive functioning is? So when I was doing my doctoral um, dissertation. And that's how many years after you being an SLP? So this was, um, so I, I graduated in 2014, but I was doing my research before that. So I knew what executive functioning was when I would say like, you know, a few years into my career, but I didn't really fully have an understanding of it. I knew it had to do with planning and organizing, mm -hmm. but I didn't fully understand the impact that it had on just your overall self-image and well-being and how it could just impact everything. I thought it was just organizing. Right. And I knew that it was beyond just academic organizing, but I didn't realize all of the components that went into it. And I was focused a little bit more on externally what you're seeing, where it's like, you know, this is the student who has a messy desk or misses assignments or is late on deadlines. Um, you know, the kids who the parents are having a hard time getting everyone out the door in the morning and things like that. I knew that it was, it, those were the external symptoms, but I wasn't exactly sure what was going on internally to make those things happen. So is it fair to say that you had to do your own research and apply it to your work and your, your goals at that time? 100%. I yeah. mean, it's um, for speech pathologists specifically, and I think you could say this for anybody on the IEP team, because I've talked to social workers and psychologists and special ed teachers as well, where they're like, I didn't, I got a very broad overview of what this was. What I did during my work was I was focused more on metacognition, mm -hmm. which is part of executive functioning and part of that internal awareness, but I wasn't using those specific terms. And so I was, I was just hitting a little bit of it. I wasn't fully, I wasn't fully understanding it. And I was applying it to very specific context. I wasn't thinking about how it affected everything across the board. So I, to answer your question, I knew what it was, but I didn't really fully understand the depth of it the and depth of it understand right. in it from an intervention standpoint what needs to happen and then logistically what actually needs to happen to make those interventions possible for the people who can deliver them so I hope it, our listeners just heard that because that is a big core right there 
to being able to reinforce the behaviors you want to see and adjust those so you could support your students in being able to perform in ways you want to see them perform for their own benefit. And mm -hmm. you just summed that up right there. So yeah. go ahead. I keep interrupting you, but you have all these little nuggets of really great information. <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure the, you know, the, our listeners are really understanding the content and context in which you're presenting it. Yeah. Yeah. So you were, I mean, you were asking me when I, um, when I figured it out. And so, I mean, I, well, I wouldn't say figured it out. We're always learning. Right. But, but I would say really within the last couple of years, I have started to focus more on the solution. So what do we actually do about this? And what am I actually trying to, what are the skills that kids need in order to, in, to, in order to be able to successful, to be successful? And then how do we convince all the other people who need to be doing this to, that it is important by figuring out what things that they're concerned about and tying it to that. So explain that to us. Yeah. Give us an so, example. Okay. So this year I have been talking to a lot of different people on the team. So I would say social workers, speech pathologists, um, principals. So I'm talking to my friend who's a principal and I said, what is the number one thing that is just keeping you up at night right now? And he said, we only have limited access to school counselors and there's so many mental health needs when it, you know, after the pandemic. So that's one example, but I've seen this happen over and over again. Things like anxiety and mental health are just, you know, and, and again, academic issues as well. So those are the things that are on people's radar. And I think what sometimes people don't realize is that, yes, the default response when you're having anxiety or mental health issues is you need to go talk to someone, you need to go talk to a therapist and you, you need to learn about expressing your feelings and understanding feelings words. Well, so a lot of those students who are experiencing those things don't necessarily have the language to communicate that. And when they're just talking about it in therapy, it's not necessarily getting to all of the root causes. And I'm not making a blanket statement that talk therapy never works and is never appropriate. But when you're thinking about executive functioning specifically, if anxiety comes as a result of executive dysfunction, just talking about in therapy is not going to solve the problem. So what I see is that if people are concerned about mental health and you're like me as a speech pathologist, I always thought about the cognitive aspects of executive functioning. But if I'm talking to a leader in the schools and I'm trying to convince them that getting executive functioning support and training their staff on it is important and they're concerned about mental health. What I need to do is explain how it ties into that and how yes. it actually solves that problem. Yes. We want to talk about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's huge where um, like you and I were saying earlier that you know, there, there are certain individuals and children included in that, that have a predisposition biologically to have certain conditions Mm -hmm. And others who those um, conditions like such as anxiety could present itself in repeated experiences of failure mm -hmm. where they could have been building up certain skills, as you yeah. said earlier, to really give themselves experiences, positive experiences, which then gives them the confidence and the growth mindset 
to mm-hmm. be able to persevere through challenges, feel that confidence again, and to move on and grow and then learn from mistakes rather than internalizing it into a negative self-concept and now possibly building that mentality of I can't withdrawal, possible anxiety type of um, symptoms, and then leading down the road of therapy when people working with children in the classrooms, related service providers included, and parents, if we all knew how to support certain areas of deficit, then this might be avoided. So talk to us in terms of, of all of that. Yeah. So there's two things there. So there's the uh, idea of having negative past experiences and having evidence of that you can't do it and not having evidence that you can. So that's going to affect motivation. It's going to cause you to avoid things. And then avoiding things is going to have you going to create more anxiety about the situations. But then the idea of taking past knowledge and applying it to new situation and quote learning from your mistakes, that's actually an executive functioning skill. And Mm -hmm. kids who have executive functioning issues have a hard time doing that. So maybe they haven't had an experience. Um, So like, let's say that they are, you're you're in soccer and the, the child has been successful in soccer and they know how to how to play with the team and, and all of those things. And now you're going to go over here and play some other sport. Like, I mean, I don't know, kickball, something that it is similar, but not the same thing. Okay. But if they have executive functioning issues. It's going to be hard for them to take that information from the past and apply it to the new situation and think flexible, think flexibly about it and think, okay, I had this past experience over here. So I can use that in this new situation and and I can use that as evidence that I am going to be successful. They can't necessarily engage in that internal dialogue that allows them to do that. So it's hard for them to envision themselves being successful because they have a hard time with that, which is known as episodic memory. So that is kind of hard. So it's when they are engaging in those experiences of success, that's where a lot of the support needs to happen, where people need to talk them through it and yes. point those yes. things out to them and model the kind of self-talk that they need to have yes. that they can apply it to future situations. Because yes, if they aren't able to recall those positive experiences and apply it to new situations, they are not going to be able to build that positive self-image. And then they're also, when you're thinking about steps and organizing, which is what is a huge part of executive functioning. So let's say that you had, like you went upstairs to get ready for bed and you forgot something from downstairs and then you're going back and forth and you realize that your strategy for getting to your end goal was ineffective. Like your end goal was, I need to go upstairs and get ready for bed. And this is what that looks like. These are the steps. This is my end goal. Here's where I need to start. Well, if you did that ineffectively and you don't remember how, you don't know how to self-evaluate during that process, or if you don't know how to, once you're done and you realize, you know what, that wasn't the most effective way to do that. Next time I'm going to do something else. You can't do that then it's going to make you less efficient. So you're less able to learn from your mistakes if you don't have somebody modeling and talking through that and 
encouraging you to reflect. If you don't right. have that internal dialogue, then you're just, you're not, you're not thinking ahead. So that's where a lot of that support needs to happen. And that's why it's, they don't really have anything to pull from that's going to make them confident moving forward and build that self-image. Right. And so what you're saying too, to become aware of what you're doing when you're doing it. So teaching children to really be present in the moment of what it is that they're doing. And if it got them to their goal, but didn't get them to their goal, mm -hmm. but to back up based on like what you were first saying is when <clears throat> taking those successes, when those students or, or children are really engaging in what is working, explaining to them what is working explicitly, having them repeat back what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then something else that I do too is adding in how do you feel? Tying in that feeling component. Have you noticed that within your work? Like students really need to know how they feel about something to, to really connect and remember it for next time. So some kids are will have, especially if they have ADHD, with the, the feelings words is going to be hard for them. Um, so that is something that, especially with boys, is going to be a little bit harder for them to verbalize that. Girls, it's a little bit different. But what we can do is help them to look at tangible things and build evidence and to show them that like this worked, this didn't, and remind them of things that are evidence that they were successful, regardless of how they feel. And obviously they might over time be able to verbalize that better. It's perfectly acceptable to say like, you know, I can see that you're frustrated or whatever and model those things. We don't necessarily, just because we're modeling it, expect them to use that language yet. It's fine to use it, but it's it's not necessarily something that we have to require of them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. More of an understanding because you're coming, it's funny because you're coming from such a speech point of view right now. Yeah. And I'm thinking when I work with some children who have ADHD, sometimes I find that they are so expressive and they can tell you exactly how they're feeling. Yeah. But I'm not talking about those who might have yeah. delays in speech either. So being able to talk about the same topic and know our differences and come right back into the middle, which is the whole child, yeah. I think is so important. As well as like you started out with your introduction of, you know, when working together and not working in, in, in silos. So when students are in their sessions and learning strategies for a speech or pragmatics or processing, and what is does it look like in the classroom? And talk to us about how important it is for the teacher to be able to, a couple of things here, to be able to support the outside work in the mm -hmm. classroom. And are they ready to do so? And what kind of communication can help prepare them for the importance of their role to support what's going on in speech, but within the classroom? So I would say it, you know, and this is, this is a speech therapy, but this is also just, if you're thinking about proactively putting executive functioning support into the classroom, because it's going to be something that's going to help all of the students. Some students will implicitly be able to pick up on that, but there are some students who are going to have a harder time functioning well in the classrooms if they don't have that support. So it's really a win for everybody, even though some students will be more dependent on it than others. 
But I would say one of the number one things that would be helpful for teachers to realize is the fact that there are certain internal skills that are going on that are required for persisting through things that are challenging and new that require multiple steps that require a lot of planning and preparation that seem so obvious and intuitive. And our brains are just so good at doing it that you don't realize all of the internal thought process that are thought processes that are going on. And you don't realize that you are constantly engaging in self-talk to direct your behavior, to read situations and to modify. So I would say the number one thing for teachers is just that awareness, because a lot of times if you don't realize that, then it's hard for you to problem solve on the spot and realize why certain external behaviors are happening, like students not following directions, students avoiding tasks or refusing things or behavior issues, or even just maybe you have a classroom management system in place and they're not responding to it. And it, it's not that that system is bad. It's just that you can't reinforce someone into doing a skill that they don't have. Right. So it's, you know, so I think that that is number one, just to realize that because it's sometimes hard for me to say like, these are the steps to do it because Every kid is going to be different when they need that, that support and that modeling. But another thing that teachers can do is to start to model their own internal planning and self-talk because mm -hmm. that's not something that's happening for some of these kids. And they, even though other people might be doing that internally, the way that you teach them how to do it is to bring it externally. So even though you don't need to say something out loud, you can start saying it. So talking about how you're planning, like, oh, okay, we need to start this science lab. What, what kinds of things do I need to prepare? And just saying that out loud. So that's one aspect of it. And anything that you can do to, when you notice a student is showing any of those things that I just described, if you can figure out where in the process they're mm -hmm. getting stuck, that is where the intervention needs to happen because yes. sometimes like if you're planning ahead and there's something that's hard and this is something that um, there's a great article about the relationship between executive dysfunction and anxiety that I can I can share it I think it's something that you can just link to but the example in there is that there's a student who is doing a writing assignment and they're like they're not doing it they're refusing whatever and it's just because they in their planning process, there's a step that they can't quite visualize and they're getting stuck on. Yes. So they're working themselves up about it. And what the teacher would have to do or whoever is working with them is say, okay, walk me through this. What's happening? What are you doing? And then you figure out what the, where's that step that you're getting stuck and then talk them through it so that they can learn that. So when you do that, that is what helps you to kind of problem solve and figure out, all right, what steps and what part of the process is frustrating for you. So, so to our listeners right now, you might actually be thinking it's not all about my students. You might be thinking it's about me too, mm -hmm. because you need to start having your own self-awareness of how you're thinking on the spot in present time to be able to model what skills are needed? What action skills are needed to perform 
and reach the task, maintain focus, whatever it might be. So yes, it's actually not only teaching the student, but becoming aware, which might be a little bit of a learning curve too for you to start talking out loud (laughs) and identifying what you're doing so you can reach your goal, which might even just be get the attention of the whole class so you can start your lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I really like the fact that you had said, um, you know, basically you can have the best behavior plan, but if you don't have the strategies to go around it, which is reinforcing those skills, um, or teaching the skills that the students don't have, then the plan's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, again, those things are an important piece. It is important to offer consequences because that is, it's a very important life skill. I have to certain responsibilities that I need to do before I can get this other thing that I want to do. Like before I sit down and watch Netflix, I have to get my work done. You know, it's it's a very important skill. So it's not irrelevant, but you also have to have the support during those skills or those tasks as well in order to be able to work through it. So what are your long-term goals? Like where you are now, what would you like to see happen? So what I am currently working on is I am working on a framework for related service personnel. And honestly, it, it could be relevant to other practitioners as well but really helping the therapist. So this could include speech pathologist, psychologist, social workers, counselors, really anybody who's an interventionist. To me, it, you know, we're, we're support staff. It's our job to support the teachers. So to take on a leadership role on their teams and find ways that they can start getting executive functioning supports in place in their buildings. So this is, again, that's no small task. But Not I'm at encouraging all. people, and, and, and I'm also talking to principals as well. That's a whole other side tangent. But I think that if we really want change to happen, we can't necessarily think the problems out there, the change needs to come from the top. It needs to come from all angles. And I think that people, when you think about advocacy and changing bureaucratic systems and all of these things, A lot of people don't, they know that they should be doing something. They know that advocating for their students is important, but they don't really have a hill that they can die on. They don't know how do I actually make this possible and feasible. So what I am saying to them is that all of these things that are a concern that are coming up in the schools, um, A lot of them, when you think about what the teacher is struggling with, when you think about what school administrators care about, and when you think about the pain points that therapists are are thinking about, when you look at those things, a lot of them can be addressed by supporting the skills that are going to build resilience. So, you know, again, if I could throw out some specific examples, the teachers... They're thinking about classroom management and differentiating instruction and helping kids that you know, need different things in their classrooms. Well, if you have executive functioning support in place and that's embedded into your classroom, that's going to support all of those things. So it's going to help the teachers get what they want. School administrators, they're thinking about school culture, mental health. They're worried about funding and school report cards, all of those types of things. They're worried about staff engagement and their whole team working together better. 
getting executive functioning support in place is going to be the glue that holds all of those things together. It's going to support mental health. What are the therapists worried about? They're concerned about generalization. They're working on things in therapy. And I can include other therapists in here as well. OTs, PTs. Sure. Um, anybody who's working on a skill and needs to get somebody to apply it to another situation. Your individual discipline is important, but everyone should be layering executive functioning work into what they're doing because that's going to help students apply those skills. If you don't know how to read situations and kind of plan and execute, it's going to be able to, it's going to be hard for you to take one thing from one situation and apply it to another. Again, that's part of that episodic memory and planning. And also those therapists are uh, one of those other things that they can be doing is, and, and one of their big pain points is a lot of times they have very big caseloads, limited time to work with students, and they feel like they can't get to everything. So as a speech pathologist, I know that working on executive functioning and language and literacy, those things all kind of blend together for me, but I have 30 minutes with a kid. I can't get to all of those things. So I need to think about how do I take my knowledge and how do I train other people to do some of the things that I'm doing and reinforce it? Because even though I'm qualified to do something, doesn't mean I'm the only person who can do it. I can take my skills and train other people, share that knowledge with my team and get that support across the board. So when I think about executive functioning, I think about that as more of a um, using a different model. So Yes, there's some things that you can work on directly in therapy when a student's in front of you. There's also things you can train other people to do. And I see executive functioning as doing as that. So that's how you can kind of figure out, okay, if I only have limited time with my students, how do I still help my students get what they need once they leave my room? So to me, it solves a lot of those problems. So what I'm encouraging people to do is start to think bigger about what they're doing, think of themselves as leaders, um, it, even if they're not officially in an administrative position, figure out ways that they can be creative about how they use their skills and how they spend their time so that they can share their knowledge and really just be part of that team. So yeah, and then I, I work on giving them the systems and the productivity systems that they need to make it happen because it's one thing to know, how do I work on executive functioning? It's another thing to figure out how do I block out time to do all of this stuff on top of this huge caseload that I have? And then how do I actually sit down and work with somebody and build rapport and relationships so that I can actually have an influence on what's going on in my building? So it's a lot of things that need to be happening. And so that's, uh, like I said, that's the hill that I'm currently willing to die on. <laughs> I hear you. I'm going to go with you. Okay. okay. We're going to go, but, but instead we're going to just hike to the top and enjoy the view because yep. people are really going to start to see the importance of thinking bigger and learning one, what the depth of when it comes to executive function, what it really is, how it impacts this, the children who we work with and what our role is and not for anything, after we get all that, it's really not that hard. It just takes time and experience. It's your go-to. Don't you think it's like your go-to for everything? Go-to for, for, for performance. Go-to for behavior. Mm -hmm. It's go-to for learning. It's go-to for new experiences and problems. It's your go-to for everything. It eliminates so much record management. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's not to say that all of the other 
disciplines aren't important, but it you we need to bring it to those other disciplines yes. to amplify what they're doing. Yes, because we're all great. We all, you know, we all love kids. We all want to do what's best for them. But sometimes we need to either build the skills that we have even more, mm -hmm. learn something new, or do a little bit of both, you know? Yeah. So where can people get a hold of you? Where, th where can they find out more information about you? So I have a podcast called De Facto Leaders, where I share information for people who are working on special ed teams. It's heavily focused on the, the clinical aspects. So a lot of the therapists, um, there's a lot of information about language, literacy, executive functioning, um, you know, again, a lot of leadership. Um, how can you be a better team member? So that's called De Facto Leaders. You can find all the episodes on my blog at drkarendudekbrannon.com. Um, backslash blog. That's where the podcast episodes are. And then of course I'm on all the directories. And then I just recently created a free guide where I walk through some of the, uh, the, the roles, essentially what is everyone's role? If you are working with school age kids, what's your role in supporting executive functioning? And what are some of the common pain points or misconceptions about this? So, you know, I talk about just talk therapy, solve the problem? What about social skills groups? What about behavior management? And, and actually just a very clear definition of what executive functioning is. So to get that guide, you can go to drkarendudekbrennan.com backslash efschools. And we are going to have all this information in our description for our listeners to follow up on, to get to know you more, contact you if they want to know more, what their next steps are and whatnot. And be sure to listen to the de facto um, leader podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're sure to learn a lot. Thank you so much, Dr. Karen, for sharing your wealth of knowledge and experience with us. Thank you so much for having me. Remember to like, share, and subscribe so others can learn from this as well. Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com, Amazon, and teacherspayteachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout-out on social media.